Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. In the 30s, there are three teams that dominated the league. New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, and the Bears. And nobody could come close to us. It's the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Who knows, maybe we come out running like wing T or something. Right on cue, Justin Fields to the end zone. With your host, the one and only, Kevin Powell. We're rolling and it's go time. Let's talk football. Already episode 18 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. It's a packed podcast. I talked NFL and Bears with Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. He covers the NFL and NFL Draft. We talk about Bears, Justin Fields, Aaron Rodgers, the whole taunting stuff. We'll get into that. I also preview the quarterfinals of the IHSA State Football Playoffs with Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times. And I also caught up with North Central College head football coach Jeff Thorne. The Cardinals are located in Naperville. They're number one in D3 football. They're one win away from capping off a fifth perfect regular season in school history. They're the reigning national champions in D3 football. They wrap up regular season play this weekend before they head into the playoffs. But let's start with Bears and NFL talk with Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. Now joining me on the podcast is Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. Covers the NFL and the NFL Draft. Appreciate you jumping on, Eric. Oh, pleasure's mine. What's going on? Uh, well, let's start with Bears talk as we enter the bye here. Four-game losing streak, but there's uh, quite a bit of hope and optimism around the Bears because of one man, and that would be Justin Fields. What are your thoughts on Fields so far? I, I'm always... I try to do my best not to be Mr. Hot Take and go one way or another and, you know, say one guy's uh, good to go, one guy's a buzz, but I feel really good about Justin Fields. Where are you at with with QB1 right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's – you never want to uh, overreact to one game, of course, and, you know, obviously you could – stack up some of the stats and say, well, okay, you know, he had a better quarterback rating in the the Raiders game or whatever. And then, you know, but the eye test from Monday night, especially after he started a little bit slowly and the Bears fell behind, showed a poised guy going on the road against one of the better defenses in the NFL. Maybe not a top five unit, but not too far below that anyway. Uh, And perform at his highest level that we've seen to this point, I think. You know, and then those deep balls that weren't connecting previously – started hitting the seam pass to Jimmy Graham, you know, the ball down the right sideline with the beauty as well. I mean, there were, you know, plenty of instances of, of high level, big time throws, finally kind of unleashing his legs a little bit too, and showing poise that, you know, taking late hits and, you know, missed opportunities and things like that. I mean, he didn't seem phased by it. So there was a, a maturity and a mental aspect too, that, that also was impressive. I, but I don't know what his feeling is, but he was my second favorite quarterback coming out last year after Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I just, I'm excited to see. He may not ever be that prototypical quarterback. I don't even know what that means anymore. But still, I, I, I'm like you. It's hard not to be excited. Well, well you, going back to the draft, you're, you cover the draft. You're a draft expert. What? How surprised were you that Fields fell as far as he did? Obviously, the Bears had to move up to get him, but like, because for the general consensus going into the draft, at least for me, it was like Lawrence Fields 1 and 2, maybe even Fields 1. How surprised were you? I know things change quickly leading up to the draft and narratives get passed around, but, you know, Fields dropping to the Bears, we were all celebrating in Chicago. Right, absolutely, for good reason, too. I mean, you know, 
the, the sense I got going into the draft with the Bears sitting at number 15, and even though there were you know teams like the Patriots who were below them and technically a worse position to get a quarterback and who needed one, it, it just felt like too big a leap for the Bears to be able to come up and get him. I assumed Fields would go somewhere in the first eight, nine, ten picks. And, I mean, he only lasted, what, 11. So I'm not talking about a massive drop or anything. But he was quarterback four, which I think to a lot of people was surprising. In the weeks ahead of the draft, conversations I had with quarterback needy teams, I kind of got the sense that this this scenario wouldn't be shocking. Um, You know, that he could end up being fourth. Because at that point, Lawrence was locked in at one. I felt pretty darn confident that Wilson was going to be the number two overall pick. And based on, and let's use Mitch Trubisky as an example. Like with, with Trey Lance, we didn't see a lot of football out of him. We saw one season as a starter at the FCS level, one kind of showcase game in 2020. And similar to Trubisky, there was a sense that almost an air of mystery around him, right? Trubisky only started the one year in college, I think 13 or 14 starts got some playing time behind Marquise Williams at UNC. And the Bears looked at him and saw more upside than they did in Patrick Mahomes, 29 starts in college. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 36 starts in college. So I, I felt like there was such an infatuation with Trey Lance's physical gifts, which are rare. You just don't see kids who run like he does, throw like he does, has the height and, and the body frame that he does. And Fields, physically speaking, wasn't too far below it, but I think there was a sense of well, maybe he took a little bit of a step back this year. Maybe he doesn't have quite the upside that, that, that Lance does. So from that perspective, after talking to enough people, I was not at all stunned that he ended up going where he did. So this week, again, like, you know, Bears coming off four straight losses, but everybody, Bears fans, are kind of giddy because they, you know, a lot of people think they've found their franchise quarterback. They've never really found right. a franchise quarterback. But is there a critique or something you've seen from Fields that maybe, you know, I, I guess hesitant to completely anoint him as his franchise quarterback? Because I've been doing nothing but hyping him. So I guess maybe um, <laughs> what, what, what would be a criticism or critique of Fields that, that you've seen? Um, because all I've been doing is hyping the guy all week. Yeah, I mean, still too many hero balls, right? I mean, there were, they were you know, leading up to this game, there were, there were too many misconnections on where, you know, in college he got away with it because he had elite wide receiver talent. You know, uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, you know, K.J. Hill, other guys along the way who have, you know, been draft picks and are good at NFL prospects who are still there. You know, great tight ends, great offensive line. He had a kind of a perfect setup, especially when they, when they ran those intermediate and deep concepts. Justin didn't have to be precise on his throws 20 and 25 yards down the field because oftentimes his receivers would have two, three yards of separation or they could adjust and come back to the ball. And they were some of the best in college football at doing just that. You know, you put on a tape of the best catches from the 2019 and 2020 season from Ohio state. And there were some bizarre ones, man, like one, you know, the out of bounds, back of the end zone sideline. I mean, diving catches, lots of great stuff from the receivers too. So I think it may have covered up some slight inaccuracy issues. And we've seen those shown up, you know, I mean, he's, He's talked a few up for grabs where, you know, the safety's camped underneath it. He still has a, a one-to-two touchdown-to-interception ratio. I think it's four-to-eight, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, increasing the accuracy in the touch, improving those turnover-worthy plays, if you will, cutting down on those. 
and getting off to a little bit cleaner, crisper start early in games. Those are some things that I think, you know, will kind of help elevate them to the next level. All right, so we've got eight Bears games left in the regular season. Let's say Fields continues to play well, shows improvement, some encouraging signs. Let's just say the Bears go four and four. Like what? You cover the Bears closely. Like where where do you think they go with this coaching staff? I know Bears fans wanted Matt Nagy gone. You could have made that argument two years ago for some Bears right. fans, but like where? I guess there are a lot of scenarios that could play out here, but do you think Nagy's a guy that should should be in charge of running an offense around fields? How do you see this season, I should say offseason, playing out? I know we still have half a season to go, but um, your thoughts right. on Nagy and Pace and that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, obviously, just from the big picture, I mean, Matt Nagy's best you know, case to management would be, hey, you know, two playoff appearances in three years, uh, uh, still five games over five hundred. You know, dealt with a quarterback change, two of them really. You know, I mean, with between, uh, um, I'm forgetting his name, Mike Glennon. Yeah, I forgot early in his career, and then obviously switching to uh, no. I guess that Glennon happened the year before. I apologize. Yeah, so, Glennon Trubisky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taking over a 12 game starter essentially in Trubisky, right? So, you know, I think that maybe there was some smoke and mirrors in that 12 win season, right? I mean, the defense scored how many points that year? But at the same time. You know the the results since then have been disappointing, and it's hard to say that Matt Nagy, who was sort of sold as an offensive guru, has quite filled that role. Right, Trubisky's development, passing on play calling duties not once but twice, and having more success when doing so. You know, those are indictments against him. So, I think it would take more than four and four for him to save his job or feel comfortable about it. I don't know what they're going to do with Ryan Pace. It's hard to look at Bears upper management and figure out a who's making these calls and, and, and B you know, who's in whose corner, right? Is there a little bit of a prisoner's dilemma thing going on between Nagy and pace? I have no idea. It's really hard to get that information. So yeah, I mean, for fields, obviously there are enough big sort of stage performances at green Bay at Seattle, you know, they get the Ravens next, you know, a game at Minnesota, two games left against the Vikings. So these are the showcase games where Fields continues to play like he did in the second half against the Steelers and shows growth, and the Bears are at least competitive. You know, if you're going to lose games, losing by a field goal, don't lose them by, you know, 15 to 20. That's probably a better look. Is it enough? I have no idea. That's, that's a really tricky question, but I'm Maggie and company, I think, have some work to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I've been going into each game. It's like, all right, just keep it close because I think that's most beneficial to Justin Fields' development. You don't want blowouts like the Tampa game and obviously Cleveland. Um, Let's get to taunting because that's what everybody's talking about this week. It was on full display in that Bears-Steelers game, Cassius Marsh, of course. Um, Look, you can make a case it was taunting by Marsh. I think a lot of times common sense gets forgotten when it comes to NFL officiating. Like, that was a massive moment, but... Your thoughts on where the NFL is at with taunting, why there is a point of emphasis on taunting. I didn't realize it was some major issue the NFL was dealing with, but they decided to go yeah. that route this year. It's 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 been frustrating. Yeah, it really, from what I've been able to tell, you know, from the competition committee's quotes and from, you know, people around the league talking about it, the Super Bowl in Tampa, late in the game, you know, by that point it was academic. Everyone knew the Bucs were going to win. Uh, you know, it was obviously a, a strange end to a strange year anyway, but uh, the game itself was a little bit bizarre as well. There was that Antoine Winfield Jr. sort of taunting Tyreek Hill uh, towards the end of the game. 
I think that was kind of the, the, the spark that, that kind of got this thing going. Someone high up in the NFL, whether it was upper management at, at, on Park Avenue, whether it was one of the team owners, whether it was a combination of the two, somebody got in the ear of the competition committee and said, enough is enough. We don't want this kind of play in, in, in our game. Well, okay, that was one play by one player, one moment in a game. You know, was it really this, you know, massive problem that was sweeping through the NFL? Four or five years ago when the owners' meetings were here in Chicago, they were downright giddy about kind of expanding the celebration rules and letting players sort of show their individuality. This was a clear move against it, even if there was a very specific target in mind. Don't, don't point your finger in players' face. Don't motion towards the other bench. Don't do any of that stuff, right? And if we're talking throat slitting and really kind of offensive stuff, like I get it. But players celebrating, and you know, even if they are kind of looking over the other sideline, I'll give them this. They called it consistently, I think, for the most part. I'm sure there are examples where they haven't. But do I think it's the right direction to go? No. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of benefit from it. Just use common sense, logic. And, and when it's obvious, we'll know. Okay, that's taunting. Ridiculous, right? We call it. And when it's not, don't force it, especially at that stage of the game. It just felt like overkill. Yeah, that's where I've been been at with it. Like, okay, there are obviously going to be some cases where you can say, yeah, that's that's taunting. You probably don't want that. But I just don't think, like, as much as roughing the passer calls can be irritating or head-to-head shots that may or may not be head-to-head shots, at least they can say those those rules are in place with player safety in mind. This one right. just seems to be making the overall product less enjoyable. And I didn't think that taunting was like, a major issue is why youth participation is down in football. You know, like this is not something that's like a cloud looming, a looming over the game of football where it's like, you know what, if we get rid of taunting in the NFL, maybe we'll have more kids <laughs> signing up to play football. I don't see that scenario yeah. playing out. So I just don't know why this is such a major point of emphasis, but I guess that's where I, yeah, but that's, we'll, solve, we'll cure COVID, we'll cure cancer, we'll solve the, <laughs> you know, the inflation crisis, we'll do all, you know, taunting rule is, is the way to do it, I think, right? Right, yeah, so, whatever, it's something we're going to deal with this season. Um, uh, last, uh, I don't want to keep it too much longer, Eric, but do you think the NFL came down hard enough on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a, a several minds of this thing, and I've, I've kind of had a different thinking on some of this stuff. You know, I mean, like, we, I, I guess there's the, the COVID protocols were agreed upon and, and put in place for a very specific reason, right? A level playing field, everybody has to adhere to the rules. You know, you, you have to, you know, enforce them equally among the 32 teams. If a backup guard breaks the rules, it should be the same as a quarterback, whatever. But, yeah, when you see the, the, the number, you say to yourself, Okay, wait a minute. C.D. Lamb was fined more than he was for something totally different and, and relatively harmless, com- comparatively, some would say. I don't know. I mean, it, it feels strange, but then again, NFL fines have always been, you know, uh, undercounted or, or outside, depending on the fine. And, you know, we've had, remember Terrell Pryor was suspended five games for something that had happened in college, right? While he was in the NFL. Like, I mean, there's always been tons of inconsistency where you say to yourself, this makes no sense. So it's not new in that regard, but yeah, it it certainly has, it raises some questions over, you know, are they really trying to enforce this and send a serious message or because the club was fine 300 grand, that's a drop in the bucket for that, but it's still a big enough number where you take notice. 
but Rogers' individual fine wasn't that big. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I suspect it's just uh, going to be one of those things. Yeah, and I also don't think that as much as this, how massive a story this has become and the climate we, we live in with social media and people losing their minds over it and it's a never-ending storyline, I don't expect this to affect the Packers' on-field play whatsoever. I know some have run with that, and it's like he misled his yeah. teammates and he lied to them. Like, if Rodgers is good to go by Saturday and he's ready to play against Seattle, I think the Packers right. are going to be just fine, and I doubt that the locker – I doubt Aaron Rodgers has lost the locker room. I'll say that. I Yeah, I think there are some players who probably will look back and have watched the tape of last week, and, and I'm you know, my impression was if – Aaron Rodgers was starting instead of Jordan Love. They win that game by 10 points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, they left points on the board. But I see your point, too, right? I mean, the guys who have kind of fought for Aaron, you know, some of the ones who have been teammates for six, seven, eight years, probably aren't. This isn't like the, the final straw for them, right? I don't think they viewed this as a, a betrayal. I mean, yeah. everybody in that locker room knew he wasn't vaccinated, you know, and he's not the only one. But obviously, quarterbacks are going to always be held to a different standard. So, you're right. I think I think for the most part, people are going to move on as soon as he plays and plays well again. But you know, there, there, there will be a faction who will look back at that point, especially if they don't win a Super Bowl, and they'll say, "This is where things started to go off track." Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It's hard for me to say. Yeah, social media will never forget. That's for sure. But I think in the real that's world, true. I think a lot of people will move on. Right. Um, yeah, there has been plenty of other more egregious things that players, professional athletes have done. Uh, we're roughly, I know it's a 17 game season, but this is about the halfway point. Can I get a Super Bowl favorite from Eric Edholm before I let you go? Who are you liking right now? Yeah. Who's at the top of your power rankings? Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me last week. I probably would have said the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Go out and lay an egg against the Jaguars. I, I, I still can't. You know, like Tennessee has the best record. I don't know if even people realize that in the AFC. It's seven and two. You know, they lose Derrick Henry. Their defense steps up in a major way. I mean, are, are they built to last? It's, I still have a hard time getting behind them. I I'm not going to give up on the Bills. I really am not. I think they're not they're not perfect, but I think they have the potential to to fix their issues in the in the second half of the season. I don't know that I can say that for the Chargers. I don't know if the Raiders can do that. You know, how good are Pittsburgh and New England? They're kind of in the picture. You know, Kansas City obviously has Super Bowl potential. So the one other team that I would mention is Baltimore. You know, they, they've gone through a lot, clearly. But with Lamar, and if their defense can fix some problems, they, they really have a chance. AFC's wide open. I just don't know what to make of it. NFC, I mean, everyone wants to pick anybody but Arizona, right? I mean, that's sort of the, the route these days. They try to find reasons not to like him, and I get it. You know, you lose J.J. Watt, you know, they, but they won last week so impressively, I thought, against a division rival, a team that had to have a win in the 49ers. Uh, without the starting quarterback, without the starting wide receiver, both stars in this league, with Chase Edmonds going down after one play, I mean, shouldn't we start taking notice of what they're doing? I mean, the Steelers were 11-0 last year and flopped in the playoffs, so it's possible they do the same. But there's something really interesting brewing out there, I think, you know, if they can keep this up for another three or four weeks and prove they can go through the gauntlet, and uh, I, it, it might be time to sort of put them in that mantle. But it, the NFC is so loaded; it's it's really hard. What a story it would be, and what what a, what a moment it would be if Aaron Rodgers, you know, is able to lead the Packers to the Super Bowl, right? Maybe potentially his last year in Green Bay after all of this, where we're at right now. I mean, that's a real possibility. So who knows? Yeah, it would absolutely. And and look at like you know. 
then what would the talk be? All right, we got to trade this guy because he wants out. I mean, what a what an unbelievable! He'd be the story again next off season. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, pretty wild, Eric. I, I really appreciate your time. Follow Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore at home. A great draft coverage is. You know what I love you guys do is the um, heading into the draft. I use your guys like um, you guys probably have a name for it. It's almost like a draft tracker where I can click on a player and it's got like a whole profile. Uh-huh. It's great. I love it. If you're a draft oh. junkie, head to Yahoo Sports. I know we're still way a long way to go till the draft, but uh, keep that in mind. You guys do a great job, Eric. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right, thank you to Eric for joining me. We go from Bears talk to high school football talk. It's on to the quarterfinals in Illinois. It's my conversation with Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times. Now joining me again on the podcast is Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times covering high school sports. We're on to the quarterfinals. Uh, Michael, it's kind of flying by here, but we've got some great matchups uh, Friday night and Saturday into the weekend here. Yep, no doubt. The quarterfinals time, there's not a bad game in the bunch, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, only one on Friday. Well, I guess it's good there's one, so I have something to go to. It's uh, Willowbrook and Wheaton North in uh, 7A. Wheaton North is a team I was really impressed with during the regular season, so it'd be nice to get another look at them. Well, well, full slate of football, and it's been fun. Let's start with 8A. It's Loyola and Lincoln Way East, two powerhouse programs. They'll meet at Loyola Saturday at noon. Who are you liking there, Michael? Yeah, this one, Lincoln East has the big name, but it's not the same as those teams the last few years. They're down significantly, um, playing a lot of really young guys. They do have a really good running back in Trey Johnson, but Loyola is the heavy favorite in this one, especially at home. And uh, also in 8A, I'm just going to kind of run through here since we're down to just four games each round, but then we've got Lockport and Glenbard North. Uh, that'll be played in Carroll Stream 1 o'clock Saturday. You're, you're picking that one? Yeah, you know, Glenbard North is one of those teams that just, they got three losses, but they're two good teams. They just kept plugging away. They, you know, pulled off an upset last week. Lockport is a team I feel like I went out to see them actually against Lincoln Way East, and their quarterback was hurt and didn't play. Um, he's a 6'4", 6'5", you know, quarterback. He's been throwing for 200, 300 yards a game. Um, so I feel like I don't have a great read on them, but I'm going to go on with Glenbard North and this one. I think just feel like the South Suburbs were a bit down this year. You don't take anything away from Lockport's 10-1 and record, but I think Glenbard North is a little bit more battle-tested and they're at home. And then we've got Maris against Glenbrook South. We've been talking about Glen- Glenbrook South over the past couple weeks. Not exactly a program you think of as a, as a football powerhouse by any means. No disrespect to Glenbrook South. Um, but they are playing a team in Maris, who you know you hear about them quite a bit too. Uh, that will That will be played in Glenview. Uh, your thoughts on that matchup, Michael? You know, I, I, this is probably the end for Glenbrook South of a really nice season, a nice run. Marist, you know, I think they disappointed in the regular season. I lost them out of the rankings at the end. You know, they, they lost to every team in the Catholic League Blue. And there comes to a point where, and they weren't in the game at the end, where you just can't keep ranking teams because they're in the Catholic League Blue if they don't win any of the games. <laughs> so, you know, I knocked them out, but they seem to have maybe found their rhythm here in the playoffs. They have a really talented quarterback, Dontrell Jackson. Uh, he's going to Coastal Carolina. And, you know, some big guys on both lines. Marist always would really help. So I'm going to... I'm going to take Marist in this one. They're going to keep things going, and it's going to set up a, a possibly a monster game. This last game is, I think, the best one in 8A. It's Maine South at Nequa Valley, Saturday at 5. Um, I kind of I think Maine South is going to be the team that winds up in the semis, but this is going to be a tough one for them at Nequa Valley. They're a team 
without a real superstar in Equal Valley. They have an interesting young quarterback, a junior, Mark Menneke. But they've played a really tough schedule. You know, that league, the DuPage Valley was good this season. They're at home. It's going to be a tight one. It's going to be the best game in 8A for sure. And I think maybe Maine South will squeak by on the road, but it, it could go either way. Are you going to be out at that one? Where's uh, Michael O'Brien going to be this weekend? Where can we, uh, we'll be you following know, you on I don't, It's one of those weeks where I don't have any choice. Um, <laughs> I work for the Chicago Sun-Times, so there's no way I will not be covering Mount Carmel at Brother Rice. Yes. Well, let, let's get to uh, let's get to that one. I know you, as we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon, you recently posted a there's a letter sent out. Uh, we know that uh, it's a passionate fan base for both of these schools, big time football programs. Um, <laughs> kind of laughing because uh, there was uh, some people were having fun near your car before. Was it before the Mount Carmel game last week? Which, by the way, let's touch on that Mount Carmel Batavia game because there was a lot of talk about that. I know there was a lot of upset people. Mount Carmel winning uh, on a last-second touchdown after they got a flag on a defensive pass interference that maybe could have gone either way. I know it was a rowdy atmosphere there, um, but they just edged Batavia 16-14 in, in a wild game last weekend. Yeah, it was crazy. I think most – well, actually, the game was kind of t- terrible. <laughs> you know, that's one yeah. thing nobody really talks about. For, for the whole game was kind of bad. I didn't think either team played very well. There wasn't much that happened. It wasn't very exciting. And then the last few minutes come, and it just goes totally off the rails. I think most Batavia people were more upset about a, a pass interference call that came. It was like fourth and twelve. Um, they were you know just past midfield, Mount Carmel, and that kept the drive going. Um, that's one I did not see. It was on the opposite side of the field from me, so I, I don't know, um, you know what exactly was going on there. But the one in the end zone at the end, you know, two guys fell down. There was clear contact. I, I, I'd have a hard time, you know, not calling that one pass interference. But it, it did seem, you know, until anytime you lengthen the game, it seems strange. And then there was, with the clock stopped, Mount Carmel had – you know, they were getting ready to go. They were going to be from the one or the three or whatever. They got to delay a game penalty um, there. And so they got moved back to the nine for, like, the second untimed down. <laughs> so it, it, that made it seem to just kind of go on even longer, and it seemed weird. And everybody's asking, you know, should the game have ended after that penalty? You know, since they didn't get the snap off, which I don't know. I, you know, actually didn't look at the rules for that. But it, so it was a, a totally wild thing. And Brother Rice didn't handle, or sorry, Batavia did not handle losing very well, um, which, you know, it, it <laughs> happens more on, than you'd like. <laughs> I noticed that on Twitter, Michael. I know you had to hand, deal with some of that. I understand their frustration. It was a great season. But, yeah, I saw a lot of upset fans. Um on the social media, but yeah, you know, you talked about how it was a sloppy game, and I saw you—you you were uh, live streaming part of it at the end, and saw some other video. Like, yeah, that that final couple minutes there felt like a half hour. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was. Yeah. It, it took took a while to get that one wrapped up. Um, but it, it yeah. will it will be Brother Rice and Mount Carmel. The the two schools did send out a letter. It's the sixty fourth meeting between the two football teams. Uh, Compete. This is the latest they'll ever meet in a season. Did I read that correctly? This late in the playoffs between these two schools? They did. Saved me a little bit of research for yeah. the game. Yeah, they, they put that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the letter is basically encouraging the adults that tailgating's prohibited. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a rowdy crowd down there, Michael. Yeah, Brother Rice, it's a little. They will be able to. There's always a big tailgate at the um, hot dog stand across the street. 
not on campus. I forget what it's called. People are going to attack me. But um, so they'll be able to do their tailgating there, and it's not on school property. So that'll work out really nice for the Brother Rice fans. Mount Carmel doesn't have that option at all. So I imagine that place will be packed, and then they can head on over to the game. You know, this one, you know, Mount Carmel is by far, you know, the better program and the more established, you know, powerhouse and all that stuff. But this is a really young Mount Carmel team. And this is a you know veteran-laden, stacked Brother Rice team, and they're at home. So I, I think you have to say that Brother Rice is the favorite in this one, even though their defense you know, has been pretty leaky this season. It's been better lately, and the offense is just spectacular. However, there is kind of an X factor for Mount Carmel. Something I didn't get to mention in my story and all the drama I kind of forgot. Nate Rogers, who is was expected to be Mount Carmel's best player this season. Um, he's a big-time baseball commit going to some SEC school. He's, he was hurt all year. He played against Batavia. Maybe five. He took five snaps. He plays quarterback. But, boy, did he look quick. And he looked explosive. And if they've had another week of practice with him, I'm sure they'll be able to work him in a little bit more. That's you know an aspect of Mount Carmel we didn't see this season that they didn't have. All of a sudden, they could have their best player more at full strength, and that could change things a little bit. I can't wait to see how this one plays out. Can I get a, an official pick from you on Brother Rice, Mount Carmel? Yeah, Brother Rice, I think I have to say on Twitter, I think Brother Rice is about a touchdown favorite on this one. Um, but, you know, Mount Carmel's pulled stuff off before. It becomes a defensive battle. You know, that's, it's hard to see that, though, with Brother Rice's offense. I think Brother Rice is a heavy favorite. I saw people hitting you up for a for a line for a spread on this one, Michael. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, you can feel yeah. the, you can feel the excitement building with this one, and you know I've got family and friends who are close to Brother Rice. I know how passionate they are, so it uh, it should be a wild game. I'm looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. The winner of that game will move on to face the winner of Wheaton North and Willowbrook. That game is in Willowbrook uh, Friday night. Who do you like there? Yeah, Wheaton North definitely. Um, they have what very few teams have in the state. They have a you know big time quarterback, Mark Fercucci. He's going to Holy Cross. They're very experienced. Everybody back from last year. Willowbrook's a really underrated program, though. They're, they man, they if you look at their playoff runs the last few years, they're always here in this quarterfinal spot. They don't get a lot of attention during the season, and it's at home, so it could be close. But I'm going to go with Wheaton North in that one. Uh, the next one. Hananaga from over up in Rockton is at St. Rita and kind of lost in last week's drama was Caleb Brown is back for St. Rita. I don't know how much he played. I meant to check on that, but he did score a touchdown. And if St. Rita has Caleb Brown at close to full strength, they become maybe the second best team in this class, you know, behind Brother Rice. So they're a heavy favorite in that one. And then it's uh, Jacobs against Prospect. Uh, Prospect edged out Buffalo Grove 13 to 8. Uh, last weekend, and Jacobs kind of, at least to me, snuck out. They knocked my Huskies out in the first round. They they beat uh, Normal Community, which was undefeated in the uh, going into the second round. So it'll be Jacobs against Prospect uh, in seven A. Who do you like there? That game will be played at Prospect Saturday night. Yeah, I did not see Jacobs coming. I had a couple of maybe I think I've ranked three teams in the Fox Valley Conference this season. You know, Prairie Ridge and Cary Grove are really good in six A. I think I might have had Huntley. In at some point, but Jacobs has come on really strong late. They run the ball really well. As you mentioned, they've knocked off a couple teams in upsets. So even though they're on the road at Prospect, I think I've been 
ripping the uh, <laughs> Bourbon League on this uh, with you the last couple of weeks. I'm going to go with Jacobs because I just I think the Mr. Bourbon League was a little down this year. But, wow, yeah, seeing a team get to the semifinals that we didn't cover or talk about all year in 7A would be a little upsetting from my coverage point of view. Yeah, well, hey, always, always a good underdog story, right? There always seems to be yeah. a team that comes out of nowhere. No um, all right, on to 6A, uh, who you like in there and um, matchups that stand out in this one? Well, 6A, the big excitement here is that East St. Louis, the alleged greatest team in the state, is, that, is coming to, to, to the area again. They're going to be at Lamont, undefeated Lamont. Saturday at 2.30, so that's going to be fun. Uh, everybody kind of talks about the Glenbard West kind of football stadium and feel. Lamont is really nice if you haven't been there. It's kind of up on a hill, which we never get around here, and has a really cool setting. So that's going to be a fun game for everybody there. And then you've got a Fox Valley matchup with Crystal Lake Central and Cary Grove. Cary Grove is the second-best team other than East St. Louis in this thing, so uh, they'll be the favorite. Uh, Prairie Ridge is at Lake Forest. Lake Forest is another team that kind of snuck kind of under the radar this year, and they're at home. So I think that's, that one's kind of a toss-em-up. Prairie Ridge wasn't great when I saw them, and I don't know a ton about Lake Forest. They did play Warren pretty close. And then the Crete Monee, a team I saw beat St. Ignatius last week, and they're going down to the Peoria area to face Washington, Illinois. And I admittedly know absolutely nothing about Washington, Illinois. <laughs> um, Crete Monee, you know, they got some at- I would be. I guess I'd be surprised if they could pull off the win there. They might have some better athletes, but... They don't have a lot of guys, and there was a bit of confusion on the sidelines there, so I'm going to go with the team I know nothing about in Washington. Man, you look at East St. Louis, first round over Riverside Brookfield, 66 to nothing. then against Richards, 54 to nothing. Haven't surrendered a point. They're blowing teams out. So, man, I know you've been hyping them a little bit, and rightfully so. It sounds like they've got a pretty a pretty good program here. And then we'll wrap up with, uh, with 5A. Give us a rundown there. Who are you liking this weekend? 5A, really fun story. St. Patrick, um, which is a school with a huge following here in the city. The, the traffic their stories do on my site always kind of shocks me. And nobody saw this coming. They have gotten into the quarterfinals. They're, they got to go out to Sycamore. Um, that's going to be a tough game for them, for sure. I have no idea who's going to win that one. But then we got a, a kind of a more local match. Fenwick is at Nazareth. This isn't the Nazareth you've known of the last few years. I counted when I covered them. I think they have 36 players on the team, which is like a public league team. Now, they have some very talented guys, and they're playing well, but it's just they're not a powerhouse. Fenwick is the favorite here, even on the road. Fenwick's the favorite to actually win 5A. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if you know Fenwick can kind of become a powerhouse and, and beat this Nazareth program that's been so good for so long when they should beat them. Uh, next up is Marion is at Kankakee. Kankakee is loaded with athletes. They dominated Morgan Park. That's a bit of a trip uh, for Marianne, which is way down you know, by Carbondale. I don't know much about them. Kankakee has rolled. This will be interesting to see which way this goes. And then there's an out-of-area game. Mohamed Seymour is at Morton. Uh, the only thing I know about that one is Mohamed Seymour has some key basketball players on the football team. So <laughs> if this keeps going, it's going to mess with the, the Bulldogs' basketball season. <laughs> hey, and by the way, if, if you like Michael's uh, football coverage, he's already starting to roll out some high school stuff, uh, high school basketball stuff too. So uh, keep a lookout for that. And then uh, I guess any other nuggets from down 4A down to 1A? I know it's uh, tough to keep track of all of it. But anything we should be uh, watching in those lower four classes? Yeah, 4A is the only public league team still alive. Uh, Richmond Richmond Burton from up north is coming to Gately to play Phillips. 
that'll be interesting to see if Phillips can keep it going. I'm, I didn't really think they'd make it this far, to be honest. So they've, they've had a nice run already. A public league team into the quarterfinals is really good for CPS, and we'll see if they can go further. Julia Catholic's the big dog there. I think they're the second-best team in the whole area other than Loyola. They host Genoa Kingston. I don't know if anybody's going to challenge them until maybe the title game, which will be a, a downstate team, either probably Rochester, maybe Sacred Heart Griffin. Um, Rochester has an Illinois commit, so if they make the title game against Joey Catholic, it'd be two Illinois guys against one going against one another, two recruits. So that'd be a big deal for the state. But yeah, Joey Catholic, heavy favorite, I, I think, in 4A. All right, that's Michael O'Brien. We're rolling along here just a couple weeks until the uh, the state championships. Good luck out at Brother Rice. Going to be a fun a fun atmosphere, a wild one. Hopefully it's a it's a great game. But uh thanks for joining me, Michael O Michael S O'Brien if you uh want to follow him on Twitter. It's a it's a must follow if you're into the high school uh footballs and basketball scene. Chicago Sun-Times is where you can read his stuff. Michael, thanks again. I'll talk to you next week as we head to the semifinals. Great to be here. It should be a fun weekend. All right, thank you to Michael. We'll touch base with him again next week as we get set for the semifinals of the IHSA State Football Playoffs. And here's my conversation with North Central College head football coach Jeff Thorne. The Cardinals are trying to wrap up a perfect regular season. They're the reigning 2019 national champions in D3. They're currently number one in the country. Here's my conversation with Coach Thorne. Now joining me on the WGN Radio Football Podcast is the head football coach at North Central. It is Jeff Thorne. Coach, uh, thanks for jumping on here. Impressive season you guys have put together here, and you got a chance to uh, cap off a fifth perfect regular season in school history uh, this weekend when you take on North Park. But uh, congrats on a great season, and uh, tell me a little bit about your team, Coach. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, we've we've got a, a veteran group uh, we brought back 15 starters from our national championship team in, in 2019 and as you may or may not know we didn't division three didn't have a season in 2020 uh, so we had a chance to really have a great spring season much like division one um, so we were able to get a lot of practices in uh, in the spring and, and get a, a young quarterback up to speed with our offense and that was really kind of pivotal and uh, he's done a great job of you know, piloting our offense and replacing our Gagliardi Trophy winner, uh, Brock Rudder from 2019, and that's the Gagliardi is kind of the Division Three equivalent of the Heisman Trophy. Uh, so that was really critical for us, and our defense is is a really, really experienced veteran group with um, you know more senior starters than we've had uh, potentially in program history. So they're playing at a high level. It's just it's been a lot of fun, and it's a great group of young men to have the opportunity to to be around on a daily basis. Well, it doesn't look like you guys are having too much trouble scoring, Coach. If you've scored less than 50 points only once, that was a 20-7 to victory uh, over Wheaton in Wheaton. Uh, impressive stuff from your offense so far, Coach. Well, thank you. You know, we've, we've got our, our offensive coordinator, Brad Spencer. He, he's done an incredible job. Um, he played for us our first two years when I was coordinating the offense. And, um, you know, when I was the coordinator, he was our wide receiver coach and just instrumental in everything we've been able to do over the years. And, you know, a few years back, we handed the offense over to him, and he's really taken the reins and done an incredible job of, you know, just developing and, and being on the cutting edge of what's happening in, in you know, offensive football. So uh, he's done a great job. Uh, like I said, our quarterback has really done a great job. We've got a, a wide receiver who is, is going to be a two-time All-American. He shattered all sorts of records in 2019. Andrew Kaminsky is getting a lot of NFL attention. 
So we're blessed to have a lot of talented guys uh, on the offensive side, defensive as well. Um, but really, we're buoyed by our offensive line. Uh, we've got a two-time All-American offensive guard and just a really, really solid group of offensive linemen that, that really make the offense go. Well, you guys are in Naperville, just outside of Chicago. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm looking at your roster here, and you've got guys kind of from all over the place. Did I see your kickers from Norway? Did I read that correctly? <laughs> yeah, guys? he is. He is. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's missed most of the season. His first game uh, was just this past Saturday at Wash U. He's finally able to get back on the field uh, with some health issues. So uh, we're thrilled to have him back. But, yeah, that's the furthest uh, anybody's come uh, to play for us. Well, we'll talk about, you've been at North Central in some capacity since 2002. You took over as head coach in, in 2015. You guys have had a ton of success. And talk about, like, and I guess really this goes for all levels, but building sustained success at any level, whether it's D3, D2, whether you're a big, big 10 program, like what is it that stands out for you as a head coach that, that I guess you can point to really any program that does have sustained sustained success. What is it? What stands out? Well, you know, I have to give credit where credit's due. My dad was our head coach from 2002 through 2014, and, and North Central had really not had a lot of football uh, tradition prior to him getting here. He was a, a legendary high school coach at Wheaton Warrenville South uh, for 22 years. Um, so, you know, we, he was able to get this program turned around. He did all the heavy lifting. Um, you know, we've been the beneficiaries of all of his hard work. But if I had to pinpoint one thing, I just think it's we really value relationships, and we spend a lot of time in our program developing relationships between, you know, players themselves, but also with our coaching staff. We take a couple days every week and uh, spend about 30 to 45 minutes talking about an individual character trait, and it just gives our players a chance to get to know each other on a different level. Um, and I think that's what drives everything. I think if you've got guys that truly care about each other, love each other, um, the X's and O's, that'll, that'll take care of itself. Yeah, it's impressive what you guys have done here. Nation's longest winning streak at any level. You guys have won 20 straight. You're going for 21 consecutive games. What's the recruiting process like for a D3 school in Naperville? Like how, are you in constant contact with high school football coaches? Are, student, are kids reaching out to you guys? How, how do you build a D3 program like this? Well, you know, it starts with, with connecting with high school coaches and, and getting uh, information from them and trusting their evaluation of their players. Uh, here the last few years since we, you know, since we won the national championships or championship, we've had a lot more players be uh, actively pursuing us, which is kind of nice. Um, but it really, I, I think, it, again, it goes back to relationships and we bring a lot of kids on campus over the course of the recruiting season um, and get a chance to get to know them, and they get to know us. We've had some satellite camps here over the last several years uh, where we've had you know, hundreds and even in, in a couple cases over 1,000 kids come to campus over the course of three different camps, and we get to watch them, and they get to you know, experience how we coach as well, in addition to you know, the big schools that are here. But uh, those, have, those have been really, really... Uh, critical for our recruiting development and the success we've had over the last last few years in particular. So you guys win a national championship in 2019, and then of course you know 2020. There's no playoffs, no national. Mm-hmm. Ch- like that, I, I, I realize we're you know it was 2020. There was a lot going on, but I'm sure that it had to add some fuel and some hunger, right? You you want to repeat, you want to be the reigning champs, defend your title. What what was that whole experience like for your program to come off a national championship and then not even have a chance to? Uh, you know, I guess you have a chance to repeat now, but it's a whole extra year of waiting. 
Yeah, um, we talked a lot in 2019 about uh, this concept of running to the roar. Uh, there's a book I read called Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson back in 2018. It's, you know, scripturally based, and, and the idea of running to the roar is just run to adversity, not from it. And it really served us well in 2019, and then, you know, we run into 2020. And that was a, that was a ton of adversity for everybody. And um, we worked our way through that together, staying in constant contact with Zoom meetings, things of that nature. Um, and, and we had 15 fifth-year seniors come back that, that could have graduated in 2020 and, and moved on with their life and, you know, gotten jobs and all those types of things. And, and they decided, you know what, there's, there's some, still some unfinished business. we got one more year that we could play ball. And they literally, you know, put their lives on pause for our program. And I can't tell you how much that means to me and our coaching staff, and I know our younger players, how much they have valued having those older guys around. And, and that's really been, had a lot to do with our success this year. We're, like I said earlier, is we're a very, very experienced veteran group with tremendous uh, senior leadership. So, you know, we've worked through it together, and they've really led the way in working through the adversity that that we went through through 2020 and into 2021. Well, congratulations on the success, Coach. I, and it's 52 and nine under you at North Central, 37 and four in conference play, uh, three division titles, of course, the national championship. Any any players, anybody on the coaching staff you want to highlight before I let you go, Coach? Because you guys deserve respect. You guys have got a bit of a powerhouse going on over there in Naperville. I, I appreciate that. You know, Tim Janicek and, and uh, Shane Durking are defensive. Uh, full-time coaches and and uh, coach Janicek's our strength and conditioning coordinator too. So, the job that those guys those guys have done has been remarkable. And I mentioned Drew Kaminsky on the other side of the ball. We've got Jake Beasley, who's a returning All-American, and that offensive guard, the two-time All-American, Sharmar Clark. And those guys have really put a ton into getting us where we are. And and we appreciate those guys and and, and love them for everything they've done for Cardinal football. And and just want to thank you for this opportunity i really appreciate it coach all the best we're thinking of you guys and uh let's maybe get another national title huh sounds good appreciate it <laughs> that's episode 18 of the wgn radio football podcast thank you to brian altimer for his help producing the podcast ernie scatton as well thank you to eric edholm for joining me and michael o'brien from the chicago sun times as well as north central college head football coach jeff thorne good luck to the cardinals the rest of the way and thank you for listening i'll have more podcast content coming up As the Bears enter their bye week, this is the WGN Radio Football Podcast.